It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 152, King Jehoshaphat's Victory of the Flesh After King Jehoshaphat's success against the armies that invaded his country, he went on the offensive. The Bible states Joram, the king of Israel, called upon him to lead a campaign against Moab to punish them. Jehoshaphat was probably more than willing to go to war at this point because Moab had just invaded his country. He had determined himself to punch back, and with the invitation of Joram, Jehoshaphat was probably fine with joining forces to invade Moab. Edom's armies, which was under Jehoshaphat's leadership, came along as well. Three kings marched on Moab. There's something else going on here. The Assyrians, after getting pushed back at the Battle of Karkar, were back, and this time were moving into modern Turkey and attacking Aram directly. Joram wanted nothing to do with the coalition, and Aram was left dealing with Assyria by themselves, leaving Moab open for an assault without Aram's intervention. Thus three kings marched to Moab to punish the Moabites for invading their territory and breaking away from northern Israel. Alright, so there's a bit of archaeology to go with this King Misha, who was the ruler of Moab at this point. King Misha commissioned a stele called the Misha Stele, which commemorates his rule. He doesn't speak to the invasion of Judah in this episode and in his life, which is common for kings to not report their failures when they put together these steles. But the Misha Stele, located in the Louvre, confirms the identity of our characters in this time frame and support our historical dating of around 840 BC. So Joram asked Jehoshaphat, how shall we invade Moab? And the answer was through the desert of Edom. Thus three kings marched overland through the desert to invade Moab. Well, it was quickly discovered a stupid idea to march an army through the desert without enough food and water, but they did. Second Kings 3, 9. So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for their animals with them. What? exclaimed the king of Israel. Has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us in the hands of Moab? Check out Jehoshaphat's awesome statement, this time to the son of Ahab. 2 Kings 3.11 But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here, through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer there, the king of Israel, answered, Elisha, son of Shephat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. So, don't know why or how Elijah all of a sudden shows up on a military campaign? I mean, how different is this? Elijah would have never been on military campaign. Elisha will find himself in the halls of power, often by invitation. In this case, he's in the military camp and brought before three kings to prophesy. How amazing, amazing favor to speak to three kings and all he has done is to serve the prophet of God for many, many years. And no doubt everyone knows what he did and how the mantle rested upon him. Now he gets to speak to three kings and prophesy at once. Wow. Check out the disdain Elisha has for the king of northern Israel, but a respect for the aging godly king Jehoshaphat. Second Kings 3, 12. 
Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, Why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your fathers and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, Because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us in the hands of Moab. Elisha said, As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay any attention to you. But now bring me a harpist. While the harpist was playing, the hand of the Lord came on Elisha, and he said, This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you, your cattle, and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, stop up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. The next morning, about the time of the offering of the sacrifice, there it was, water flowing from the direction of Edom, and the land was filled with water. What just happened was a miracle. The soldiers dug trenches, which were filled with waters from flash floods in the nearby mountains. That Elijah is starting off with the bang. Prophecy to three kings and a flash flood. How cool is this? And not only this, he prophesies on a military conquest. Interesting to see what happens next. Second Kings 3.21 Now all the Moabites had heard that the kings had come down to fight against them. So every man, young and old, who could bear arms was called upon and stationed on the border. When they got up early in the morning, the sun was shining on the water. To the Moabites across the way, the water looked red like blood. That's blood, they said. Those kings must have fought and slaughtered each other. Now to the plunder Moab. Alright, take note that they had to call upon the young and old. That's because their armies and the men were killed in the episode prior in the invasion of Judah. They're calling upon anyone who will hold a sword and leash an arrow at this point to defend their country, even the young and the old. And talk about the aggressiveness that they would attack even with their old people. I get the feeling... The northern Israelite oppression must have been terrible the last few years because they would choose death over enslavement again. 2 Kings 3.24 But when the Moabites came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and fought them until they fled. And the Israelites invaded the land and slaughtered the Moabites. They destroyed the towns, and each man threw a stone on every good field until it was covered. They stopped up all the springs and cut down every good tree. Only Kir Haraseth was left with its stones in place, but men armed with slings surrounded it and attacked it. All right, Moab is getting annihilated. One fortress was left. Everyone who survived of the Moabites was crammed into this fortress. They are fighting to the death. I mean the death. The enslavement and treatment of the Moabites by their captors must have been so torturous in the past they would choose death over surrender. This last group of survivors are not going to surrender. Choosing to fight the last man, the king is going to do the unthinkable to prevent complete annihilation. 2 Kings 3.26 When the king of Moab saw that the battle had gone against him, he took with him 700 swordsmen to break through to the king of Edom, but they failed. Then he took his firstborn son, who was to succeed him as king, and offered him as a sacrifice on the city wall. The fury against Israel was great. They withdrew and returned to their own land. So interesting here. I mean, it looks like the three kings just devastated the land. 
And when Misha, the king of the Moabites, sacrificed his firstborn son, it says the fury was great and they withdrew. It just seems like a contradiction, but what happens could simply be the following. Jehoshaphat achieving his aim of punishing Moab and disgusted by the slaughter and human sacrifice and exhausted by death and destruction, the fight was over in him. The Moabites were prepared to fight to the death and kill themselves and sacrifice themselves to their cause. With a demonic resolve of human sacrifice, these final Moabite soldiers were prepared to fight to the death. Jehoshaphat called it quits. Not wanting to see a genocide, Jehoshaphat had had enough and withdrawals. The campaign was effectively over. Jehoshaphat will die soon after this scene. It's going to be a sad day when this actually happens because what will befall Judah? What I find interesting is that he got what he wanted in this episode, a victory in the flesh. So let's conclude this episode with what Jehoshaphat achieved by crushing Moab. Jehoshaphat erred by allowing wanderlust in and trying to be like and allying himself with his demon-worshipping northern neighbor. He allowed his son to marry the daughter of Jezebel. He allied himself to build a fleet with northern Israel, and he went on a military campaign and failed miserably at Ramoth-Gilead. All these things will result in total failures. But this actual scene, it's almost like at the end of his life, God let Jehoshaphat see what happens when your flesh wins. The result was gross death and destruction. Jehoshaphat was sickened out by the blood that he shed of his enemies. Romans 8.13 For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. God loved the heart of Jehoshaphat, but it didn't say he prayed prior to this military campaign. He prays later and sought God but at the point of starvation and military annihilation. God answered his prayer with salvation and victory, but the victory was so complete and so bloody and so genocidal. Jehoshaphat, the forever mercy and innocent lover of God, probably cried the entire chariot ride home after the battle. He wasn't a hater. He forgave people and he walked in mercy and grace. He was duped into a greeting to this battle and found his forces hard-pressed to fight hard and take the lives of his enemies until there was so many of them dead on the field, his conscience broke and his soul was torn in two for what he had done. I believe this is one of those examples where God gave him what he wanted, military victory through an alliance with his northern neighbor, something he desired his whole life, only to see the emptiness of this desire of the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. I believe God let Jehoshaphat taste of the victory of the flesh to the horrors that awaited him on the other side as he realized what he desired and fulfilled and the death that brought upon others and his own heart. Never one to stomach the horrors of war and gritty trenches like a David, Jehoshaphat was given the victory his flesh always wanted that his heart and soul and spirit hated. Pulling this into a personal perspective, got any fleshly dreams that you want to be like your neighbor and achieve his or her goals and purposes? Or want to be so like someone else that you'll do whatever it takes? If so, you'll lose track of who you are and your purposes. Got anything that you want so bad you can't let go of it and you know it is wrong? A goal, a purpose, a target, a thing you just want and want and want and would feel complete. You wouldn't feel complete without it. 
But you know deep in your heart this is a fleshly desire. If so, let it go at the feet of Jesus. Because if you don't want to get to that place where God could possibly say, you want this so bad, I'll let you taste of it. So you can truly taste how horrible it is. The Israelites wanted a king and they pleaded for a king. Samuel knew it was wrong, but God gave them what they wanted. Jehoshaphat hung on to that desire for a joint military campaign and military prestige as king and a friendship with northern Israel. He hung on so tight he was nearly destroyed by it, and in the end, when that fleshly desire was actually given to him, he tasted of the horrible aftertaste of sin and regretted it for the rest of his days. Let us not make this mistake and purpose victories for the wrong motives, and let us not hang on to the things of the world that are not God's purposes for us. And let us be obedient to the conviction that tears away the fleshly desires so that we never have to have the taste of the sins of the flesh and be ever reminded of the horrible aftertaste of sin. For if we live according to the flesh, we die. But if by the Spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body, and we will live. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com, share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.